Thank you for joining us at Impact Your Business, Impact Your Life. Throughout these videos, we are going to be interviewing successful business owners, real estate professionals, and all-around amazing people. We're excited that you're joining us. Please take a look, please like, please subscribe, and we look forward to bringing you some great content. Miss Elizabeth. Oh, Josh, who loves market conditions? <laughs> yeah, because I think that market conditions kind of tell us, especially as real estate professionals, they tell us what we are going to be facing, right? And it's a little bit of like preparing for the weather, right? Right now you're having very inclement, inclemental weather in KC. Yeah. And so you're prepared for the storm. And so market conditions allow us to prepare. And some of the things that we're looking at in the 24 year, first of all, I think they're a little exciting. Um, I think they're exciting because the last couple of years of real estate have just been challenging for different reasons. Um, one of the things I'm excited about is the new build, the new construction that's happening, right? Um, right now, the National Association of Builders is projecting that we're going to have a 4% increase in the start of new builds. And they are thinking that it's going to be, uh, they're projecting rather, that 13.5% increase in new home sales for this upcoming year, right? And, and I think that, that that's good for a couple of different reasons. Um, first of all, we've always had an inventory challenge, right? Post the Great Recession, we didn't have enough houses built. So we're always going to have an inventory challenge. And I also think it's encouraging from an economic standpoint, because when you have builders builder building out there, and, and Josh, I'm going to get crazy girl on you, it means they're at Home Depot and they're shopping for lumber and they're buying things, right? Um, I mean, just to touch on that real quick, I was speaking to a yeah. the other day and he actually was saying that he had to go to, I think it was, he said eight different Home Depots in a two day period to get the correct um, sink for the new bills. He really? Sold out. Um, and so he was just going around to every single one trying to find them because they didn't have them. So yeah, there's definitely something going on there. Here I was thinking I was just going to be girl brain about this, right? Um, but I think that that also tells you like the impact of the economy, right? I mean, we're not going to get crazy on folks on today's edition, but we, we were still up until the end of 22 into 23 still facing uh, supply demand issues, right? We were still having that shortage. So I think that to see the builders are talking about a 4% increase, first of all, the word increase just means good, right? We're just going to do more than we did last year. Right, just a little bit more. Um, are you seeing any trends with the folks that you're in connection with around new construction? Anything that the conversations they're having? Yeah, I mean, they were building all through the winter. Um, so this one builder specifically is building multifamily, um, duplexes, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and they were, I mean, his investor people, they were hitting him hard because they had people ready to move in. Um, so just missing the deadline on, on one of the projects, they missed the deadline by a few days and it was like the world was ending. Um, so he's out there every single day. He's out there in the snow right now dealing with it because it is such a pent up demand. So I think that, and like I said, with the interest rates kind of getting a little bit better again, slightly better than last year, not the best. Yeah. I think that's going to start helping because I think people are finally realizing, oh, this bubble that everyone talks about that's going to burst and all these foreclosures is just not going to happen. Not going to happen. And I'm not even going to go there because I feel like it's like Beetlejuice if you talk about it too much, right? So I'm not even going to go there today, right? Um, and this also makes me excited about the investment opportunity around this, right? Um, because we are about to launch Grid KC. And I think you should talk to folks a little bit about what do you think that platform is going to do for folks? Yeah, I think what's good is it it kind of connects everyone. So, you know, there's some really good investment class out there where you go, you hear about it. Then you come back the next month and that's kind of it. And it just gives you the knowledge. 
this will give you the knowledge, but it's also going to give you the actual connections. And the whole goal of this is for people to work together. So you're going to have builders there, handymen, property managements, lenders, all these things. And you're going to get to know everyone. So it's going to be the same kind of crowd as it grows and grows. And the whole ideal is if someone comes and says, hey, I've got this project, but I don't have the funding. Well, there might be an investor in the back of the room that we can connect you with. So now you've got the guy with the funding, you've got the boots on the ground, you've got the um, builder, whatever the case may be, and you put those pieces together. So it's kind of that everyone, you can't succeed alone and everyone's working together. And this will hopefully help people increase their wealth and things as well. Because it's so hard to get going on your first investment property or how to do it, when should I do it? So this will hopefully help people learn and have the funds and support and knowledge that they need. Yeah. You know, Josh, I, you suddenly like reminded me of my first investments in my experience. And I think to myself, man, had I had this network, how different that would have been for me. Um, do you have any horror stories that you want to share just because we're here? Oh yeah. So I think I got a couple from investors I've worked with on the property management side and things like that. I mean, there's one right now that we're dealing with where they came to us through another management company they're out-of-state investors. They bought this place because a friend told them about it. They'd never seen it, purchased it. Well, the location it's in, so much turnover because it's a pretty rough part of town. Um, people don't pay their rent. They were sold that it was a five-bedroom. It's actually a three-bedroom. Oh, yikes. Uh, there was deals where they apparently there was a Section 8 tenant, but then the tenant was also paying money. It was very weird. Um, and now these people were I think they're upside down. They told me actually yesterday on a phone call, like 30, 40 grand. Oh, and, they no. just, and they're just going to take that loss and be done because it's just such a headache. Um, and they've got a, a package of properties because again, they, they're just getting informed incorrectly and they don't have that representation because it was a friend of a friend or whatever saying it was a good deal. Um, and again, this was a few years ago when the market was really, really good. So that a lot of them are those. Um, some other horror stories I see is the newer investor sometimes will jump in too early and they're buying properties which are cheaper. Again, maybe not so desirable areas, which you can get some good properties in non-desirable areas, make them good. But for a new investor, sometimes they're buying them cheap, thinking, I'm going to make all this money return. They're not thinking about the overhead. And those properties, we see a lot more of the pipes freezing. We see a lot more of, honestly, even things like mice and things, because they're rock, stone foundations, the mice get in and stuff. So there's so much more overhead. They don't make as much money in cash flow as well as they thought. Um, but they wanted to get on the market pretty quick. So, yeah. So if they would have had a, a network of professionals, advisors, if they would have had a formula or two, right. And, and I think that that's what you offer through grid is the ability, the know-how, right. Um, I'll, I'll tell you my, my nuance, right. So early investing kind of like dipping my toes was I, I was managing a 24 unit uh, apartment building, which this looks like nothing compared to what you guys manage nowadays. Right. Um, but yet it was a big deal. And I had to, Josh, this is, I'm, I'm going to totally date myself here for a second. You know how we collected rent? I don't know. Was it just cash and stuff? Please say no cash. Oh, we had to go knock on their doors. Oh yeah. I wouldn't have survived. Between the first and the third, it was my jam to go. First of all, I look back at it now and I realized just how, how dangerous that was. Let's just start there. Right. But it was a very old school way of doing things. And it gave me the people side of things. Right. Because you were some of these folks that they'd invite you in, come and have some coffee, you know, like and, and it was just like a lot. It took hours, by the way, to collect rent. It took hours on end. I think about that then it was lacking a system. 
right? It was lacking tracking. Luckily, I'm an honest person and I turned in everything I collected, but what if I wasn't, right? So you guys have a great system through property management that allows you guys to have those checks and balances both for the uh, the tenant as well as the owner investor of the property, right? Um, I thought to myself, well, if I've managed that, surely I can manage a fixer for it, right? So now I'm in 05 and 06 and I pick up what I think is a good deal. This property, this gentleman, had moved into assisted living. So this house was very, very dated, but it was highly desirable neighborhood. And Josh, I was checking off all my boxes. I had this book I was going by and all of these audio tapes that you would listen on how to invest, right? Way back in the day. I the CDs, but that's fine. Yeah, right. I actually had to wind them up. And I, but anyway, um, they came in a big case. It was terrible. Um, landfill somewhere. But anyway, even then, Josh, I found myself like I was the GC because I didn't have one. Right. Um, I was also playing around with lending and doing different things because I, I had no knowledge on should I go this way or go. I was like, to your point, I was just testing things out. I was just trying to see what would work. Right. Now, in that particular property, we were okay, but I went in the same thought and thing that you just said. I thought I'm going to, first of all, I was buying at 119. So who does that? Right. Who buys a house at 119? Well, it was 05. You can give me a little credit. Okay. <laughs> Buy this house at 119. I thought this was nothing um, too deep cosmetic, right? Paint colors, flooring, the simple stuff. The simple stuff led me to, oh man, now the house doesn't match the kitchen. Should I should redo the kitchen and then the kitchen doesn't match the bathrooms. And before I knew it, I had a full-blown remodel as opposed to just some cosmetic stuff. And that's what I did. And that was my lesson there. I didn't put a stop gap. I didn't have anybody saying to me, don't do the bathrooms because you're just cutting into your margins, right? I was tearing out plastic and putting in tile. Where did your head just go with my budget on that, right? <laughs> just went I, somewhere. I think that's where I would recommend a lot of people. I, I mean, I, I was involved in a couple of flips last year. I always had the GC, the contractor involved because although it costs you more, you can profit more if you do it yourself. It's things like that come along. So for example, my recent one, I think I went by there three times and I didn't have to do anything. What I had to do is say, hey, this is the color I'm thinking I want this, this, and this, but the contractor I use, he invests and flips tons of homes with multiple agents and investors all year long. So he knows what he's doing. I mean, the one we done as our network together, I told him I wanted X, Y, and Z. I showed up one day and the um, fireplace was a completely different color and all this stuff. And when I looked at it, I was like, that was way better than what I was thinking. But he asked me at the beginning, he was like, do you trust me to make a few decisions if we think we need yeah. to? I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. Because we know him and he's done it more times than we have. Um, and although it costs us more money, because obviously he's not doing this for free as well, he's got to make more, right. more money. We did net more. Both properties that we'd done last year, I ended up selling for more than we listed it for. Um, so you make up that difference if you do it right. Um, and you've also got to pad those numbers on expecting some issues. So the most recent one, it was a very small margin for error, but I put that in there just in case. Mm -hmm. And we went over budget a little bit, a couple of thousand, nothing much, but if I wouldn't have put that in there, the profit wasn't anything great, but it was profit and it was good. It would have been very, very tight if we wouldn't have put that buffer in there. So God do that. Um, yeah, you said something really key there, right? It's because you you have the people that know, mm -hmm. right? Because then my my consumerism, going back to Home Depot, I was like, oh, that tile looks really pretty. Oh, what about this one? And no, at no point in time did I have a barometer to say to me, you're about to go over on your budget because you want to pick the pretty tile versus the functional tile, right? So we've got a really great formula. Um, I'm curious, the 70% the rule, 
Right. So for those of you that are listening, the 70% rule is a guideline. Um, it's constantly, excuse me, it's commonly used for a barometer when purchasing a distressed property. And the formula at its simplest form is your ARV, which is your after repair value times multiplied by 0.70, which is going back to that 70% rule. So your ARV multiplied by 0.70 with that number, subtracting your rehab cost. And when you think about that formula, Josh, it's not a foolproof formula. It's not like everybody has to use it, but I think it gives people a really good idea to, first of all, to look at the after repair value. What is this place going to actually be worth later? And then the estimated repair costs, your ERC, because then you're having to actually, it forces you to look at it versus just like we commonly hear, we'll just throw a hundred grand at it and it'll fix it. Yeah, That's yeah. not always the case. Yeah, I think whatever investing you do, you need to know exactly what that model is going to be, what that number is. So for example, if you're going to use this, the 70% rule and things like that, make sure you stick to that and you don't waver from it. That was the biggest thing. Good advice. Two big investors I spoke with, he has, I, I don't exactly know his numbers, but he told me he has a set schedule. He plugs it into a spreadsheet and if it spits out, and he said, even if it's a dollar over what he needs it to be, he doesn't take it because that is his rule and it hasn't burnt him by doing that. But then I had another investor who's one of the best ones we have, and we manage all his rental properties. They're awesome. He goes in and just rehabs everything, makes it nice because he doesn't want us to get calls. He doesn't want to have to replace anything. So he just does everything. But when he flips properties and sells them, he said, my thing is I want to make 20 grand after everything, mm -hmm. after expenses, closing costs, everything like that, 20 grand. So he doesn't care if it's a $500,000 property, $100,000. It doesn't matter to him. He has to make 20 grand in profit. Otherwise, he's not going to do it. And if it's more than 20 grand, awesome. But if it's under 20 grand, he's not taking it on because he's built in all the numbers there. So his is 20 grand. The other guy's is a percentage and stuff like that. And it both of them work and they're both really good investors and make a lot of money. It's just you got to stick with what one is important to you, really. Yeah. It's fascinating you hear hearing you say that if it's off by a dollar, he won't do it. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, do it. He, he has his numbers. He sticks to it because he just says it's just already a red flag and then he just knows it's going to snowball from there there'll be something else that comes up and now it's even further into it i see so so it's almost like it's not so much about the dollar but the dollar is really a, a, a flag for him to say this dollar can turn into a hundred or a thousand really quickly yep yep because that money when he says i'm gonna make this percentage he's also anticipating things may come up and that's all padded in in those numbers so he knows um so yeah if it's already in the red He's not going to take it. We'd like to take this moment to thank one of our partners, Integrity First Mortgages. If you have any mortgage needs, you're looking to buy, potentially refinance, please reach out to us. We would love to have a conversation with you and see how we can help you with your needs. Now let's get back to the episode. Interesting. Okay. So for, for those folks that are listening and, and if you're local KC and you have an opportunity to actually come to one of our good networking meetings, Josh, uh, two pieces of advice. The first one is if you're a rookie, never done anything in investing, where do you think one would start? What would be a good first step? I think it is just getting to know all the people involved, depending mm -hmm. on what you want to do. If you want to flip or if you want to hold and have rentals, if you want to hold and have rentals, start speaking with property managers, start speaking with contractors, build all that out. Cause that's another thing I find a lot of these rookie people, they will buy the properties and then they want to save. And I get it. They want to save on the cost on the management, but then I find these rookie investors, they're the ones that they don't screen correctly. They put just a random person in, mm -hmm. then they're a little bit more lenient because it's personal to them. They put them in, they know the people they're dealing with the calls. Well, then they're like, okay, well you can pay me next week or, Oh, I'll let you off on this or I'll wait. And it mm -hmm. starts spiraling. And I mean, we've had people we took over. They've 
been screwed over by five, six, seven thousand dollars that are owed by tenants and they didn't even know how to start an eviction or what to do, or they come to us too late and they're like, I need to evict. And it's like, well, first you've got to do this notice and then you've got to do this. And even more time now goes by. Um, so I think if you're gonna do it, get the professionals involved. It's like if you're sick, you go to a doctor, you pay for it. Get your property manager, get your contractor, all that stuff ahead of time and just go meet with them, ask what the fees are and stuff like that. The most expensive or even the less it's not you want to find out what they offer and also speak to their references so you actually get some good stuff because i'm sure we're not perfect but a lot of people that have come to us they've had some horror stories um so i think that would be the main thing just figure out your team and what you need um and what it looks like and then i'd say the other advice would be just go speak to someone that's done it join one of the investment groups and just mm-hmm. say i see it all the time i'm a new investor what do i need to do who do i need to speak with someone will say, I don't mind talking to you, offer them coffee, go do that. And most people will help you and talk to you about it. That is some solid advice, Josh Wells. I loved it when you said find the team. Yeah, like 100%, because here's the other element that we haven't really spotlighted. You're living the advice that you just gave, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're not just saying this because you read it somewhere or heard it somewhere else. You're just like, no, this is this is proven track record and proven track record beats concept anytime. Right. 100%. Yeah. I mean, right. just be in these groups, learn from the people that are doing it at a high level, but don't rush it. They all started somewhere as well. Um, so just start doing your first property. I spoke to, like, they're in a mastermind with me on, it would have been last week sometime. And it was a great story. This guy was, believe it or not, he was a professional traveling DJ. Uh, no, not DJ, sorry, break dancer. And back in the day before he had kids, and he was a missionary. So he was earning, I think he said it was 750 bucks a month was what he was earning. And he's a big time investor now. And he bought his first property when he had 750 bucks a month. Um, And his wife didn't work or anything. So when you do the math, how do you buy a place like that? Well, it all came down to there's different ways to do it. So without getting into the weeds, he just like finding properties. Now, again, it was one of those lower price income properties and he bought it for like 15,000. And it was originally going to be for him and his family to live in. And he'd done like a seller financing thing. So the seller financing was like 90 bucks a month payment. But then he could lease this place out for like 550 a month. So that's how he started. And once he started doing that, it built up his portfolio, his equity, and then he could start getting loans and other things. And now it just kind of grew and grew from there. Um, and he'd done that when he was making 750 a month. So there's ways to do it. Um, and like I said, different partnerships, different things like that. I've heard of, I haven't met someone that's done it this way, but I've heard of a lot of stories on different things where people have teamed up with people out of state that have money. They're the boots on the ground. They're the money people. So me as the boots on the ground, I get a 10, 15, 20% equity stake, even though I didn't put any money in, but I'm managing it. I'm doing all the work and everything. They're the ones putting the money in, but they didn't have to do anything. They're just like investing like you would in the stock market. Um, so there's different ways around to do it. Again, got to have the connections and who you're going to speak with. Yeah. Well, but I also heard you say that it's not just that it's not the thing that anybody can do it. It's the fact that anybody who wants to do it can do it, that you don't necessarily need to have a piggy bank full of change in order to go do this, right? Yeah. I mean, if you find a deal and it's going to make a hundred grand, you do one of the numbers, the 70% rule or whatever, and it's going to make a hundred grand, but you need a hundred grand to buy the thing. I'm telling you now, you put that in an investment group, say, Hey, I've got this property. Don't give them the address or anything, but I've got this property. I've done the numbers. This is what it looks like. Who's interested so we can talk. You will get blown up and then you just got to decide how you can make it work with a partnership with someone if you're putting money in or not. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 for your purposes, Grid is going to be the place where they can go for that, right? Because it's a one-stop shop for all things investment. Yep. 
Josh, this was a great episode. I learned something today. Uh, I, I actually learned a couple of things. I may go back and, and listen to it again. You've got good stuff to share, Josh Wells. Thank you for your time today. No problem. Thanks, guys.